We greet you in the name of Jesus who is worthy to be praised. God bless you, Ryan and Rosanna. Seems like God and time are specialists in alterations. Let God have his way. Introduce you to a man by the name of Will Johnson that I met during his incarceration at Pugsley Correctional Facility. Will was five foot ten, weighed two hundred and eighty pounds, bench pressed five hundred pounds. He was a black man. His neck was about the size of my thighs. And it was not the type of fellow you'd like to meet in a dark corner on a rainy night in a bad mood. But Will had found the Lord. His life had been transformed, praise God. And one day he shared his testimony with me, and normally I do not pursue why a person is incarcerated, but he willingly offered this. And he was involved in the drug culture and was a dealer. Seemed like life had everything going for him until he met some opposition of others, I guess, in the same culture. And he found himself face down the entrance of his condominium. And he felt the cold muzzle of a gun to the back of his head. He said, Wendell, then I faced reality that I may not be here very long. But God spared his life. And God had a special plan for him. And he was able to share of his transformation not sure where Will is right now. I trust that he is walking with the Lord in faithfulness. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 this morning. The title of my message is Facing Reality. And I want us to know that every one of us have this that is ahead of us that we don't exactly know what turns are in the road. And we can read things from the scriptures and we say, Lord, what are you trying to teach us from this? But Matthew chapter 24, and I'm not sure if you're looking at this as a dual prophecy, what might have happened in 70 AD when Titus came in with the destruction of Jerusalem. And if you read Josephus and some of the historical effects, the atrocities that happened there, or if we can take it of a dual prophecy, but just keep that in mind as we read starting at verse 3. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Are there some significant parallels in this passage for us today? 
first point I have is that someday my earthly life will end. The reality is that when we face this, it may happen at any time. I guess this is close to our heart because of the recent happenings in our congregation. You know, sometimes we may seem and call it an untimely death, or sometimes we see that accident and diseases and and natural things take place, disasters that happen and floods and earthquakes and whatever it might be. And we say, well, Lord, why now? Why at this time? Why at this station in life? Psalm 90 verse 10 says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they are fourscore years, yet in their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. I'm getting closer to those numbers all the time, like you are. But it doesn't have to be 70 or 80 years. It can be 10 or 20 years old. It doesn't matter. But the reality is we have to face that. It may come at any time. We may ask, why do bad things happen to good people? We may never be able to reconcile that in our finite minds because we have a God that is above all, in control of all. We know that we are not exempt from injury, from disease. We are not exempt from sickness and death. No, we live in a sin-cursed earth. And because of that, the whole creation is groaning and travailing. Romans chapter 8, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, for which the firstfruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body God is operative in everything that comes to pass he makes no mistakes his timetable is perfect we need to accept that by his ultimate divine plan and the Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. But we have a time and a day and a, and a world that lives as though they'll live forever. There's no accountability for their actions, and they feel there's no consequences for their sins. That is wrong. God says that we need to walk as though the reality can come that we may die at any time. You can go to Second Peter. You could turn with me there, Second Peter chapter three. Again, starting at verse three of this passage, and make some analogies there again, knowing this first, Second Peter three three, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant. Do we have some people like that today? Willingly ignorant of facing reality. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standeth out of the water and in the water. I think people have shut their eyes to the truth. They've shut their eyes 
to, they, they, they refused the evidence. One time I saw a bumper sticker. It said something like this. Uh, my, mind, my mind is made up. Don't bother me with the facts. Yeah? Yeah? Unwillingness to learn at any stage in their life to see what God has for them. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And I just picture old Noah out there, 120 years, building the ark, preaching his heart out. But look at what could have happened in 120 years. My thinking, five or six generations. And Noah said, yeah, the earth's going to be, there's going to be a flood. These things are going to happen. And someone said, well, that's what Dad said. That's what Grandpa said. Great-Grandpa said. Great-Great-Grandpa said. Great-Great-Great-Grandpa said. And he still hasn't come. Willingly ignorant. Scoffers. Whereby, oh, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I don't know what your view is of eschatology, but I know one thing. When there's going to be a cleansing and a purging, it's going to be complete because God has his hands in it. And however he, however he has that to take place, We'll know someday, and someday we'll see it's because of his perfect plan and his perfect way. But, be, but beloved, verse 8, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Again, our finite minds can't understand that. A little humorous story. A man inquired from God, said, God, God, how much is a thousand years? And God answered back and said, about a minute. The man thought again and said, God, how much is a million dollars? And God thought a little bit and he said, about a penny. And the man said, hey God, may I have a penny? And God said, in a minute. <laughs> but see how our perception changes on things? It's just completely out of our box. We, we can't understand those things. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some then count slackness. But his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all should come to repentance. And the reality is that we're, death may come at any time, and he would desire that all would come to repentance. Do we get that heart throb? I, I, I just am impressed with the Moody. And I don't know where he got his Holy Spirit boldness, but praise God he did. And the story says that one time he went up to a man and asked him if he's ready to die. Are you ready to die? The man looked at him and said, you mind your own business. And D.L. Moody said, that is my business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do we have that eager anticipation of the Lord returning and are we living productively and trying to tell others about that soon return? Second point I have is I am an eternal being. The reality of that is I'm going to be in heaven or hell forever. That's, that's the reality of that fact that I'm an eternal being. Even though we don't always understand what it's going to be like, even though we don't understand and people in our world today think, oh, they're just going to die like a dog. Oh, no, they won't. 
God has that special part of his creation in instilling the very spirit of mankind, that, that soul that will never die. And mankind, they won't die like a dog. They might smell like one or look like one or act like one, but they won't die like one, I'll guarantee you. So do we choose where we want to live forever? Do we choose that? Are we separated from the world and separated unto God? Are we separated from the things that attract us so that we can be close to Him and live with Him forever? Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. It doesn't say when the Son of God might come, when the Son of God is scheduled. It says when the Son of God shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and behold, Him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And He shall set His sheep on this right hand and the goats on the left. We can go on down to verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous and their life eternal. That, that idea that there's, there's no options, one or the other. Probably Ellis could relate to this. I remember standing on street corners in Chicago. So we were singing there in the corner by the jazz festival years ago. A fellow to the, behind us there in the park on one of those benches was sitting, listening, and so I took liberty to go talk to him. His name was Danny. Danny was a Latino man, and he had been in the city selling fruit or something. I, I, I think that's what it was. But anyway, I was started talking to Danny and said, tried to deal with him and said that, you know, we're singing because of the love of Jesus in our heart, and do you know that love? Do you understand who Jesus is? And, and he started telling me the story, and, I asked him then, do you have a Bible? He, uh, he says, no, he doesn't have a Bible. And so I tried to arrange to get him a Bible. In fact, I sent one later to him. But anyway, I just felt that the conversation went that I do not need to spare any words. I said, Danny, if Jesus would come tonight, could you say that you would be ready to die? And the heart-gripping words of N.O., no, I will never forget that moment. Because here was a man that realized he was not right with God. He had some knowledge of God up here, but it wasn't here. He had some knowledge of God of what it, he could feel like to be, to understand and hear these people singing and see the joy in their hearts, and he didn't have that. Another man I worked <clears throat> At a lumber company years ago, Brown Lumber was the name of the lumber company in Traverse City there. And this re man that was retired from the military was working in the yard and helping load material when you go back there. And his name was Lloyd, and everybody called him Sarge. So you get a stereotype of what this man was because there's no messing around. Here's your paperwork, here's your supplies, boom, that's about it. One time I asked Sarge, I said, Sarge, where are you going to be tomorrow? Well, plan to be working here at Brown Lumber. 
said, where are you going to be in a, year, in a year from now? He looked at me a little strange. He said, probably working right here at Brown Lumber. I said, and, and perchance, where may you be in a million years from now? And he never answered me. From that day forward, whenever I'd drive in the yard, Sarge would seek me out. And I'd try to just drop little tokens of love in his heart. I don't know where Sarge is. It wasn't long, and he quit brown lumber, and I asked him, fellas inside where, where Sarge went to and they said well he just quit and he's gone they just didn't have a lot of friends and those things gripped my heart because Danny and Sarge will either be in heaven or hell forever just like you or I third point I have is I have a sin nature the reality of that is I have the bend towards that nature. I have a bend towards that nature. Romans chapter 5, familiar passage, says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it to the lust thereof. Neither present your members unto sin, unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself unto God as alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We have that bend, but I thank God that we have, we have someone we can look to. We have someone by example that we can walk a life of righteousness and holiness here. We can walk in obedience to Him. Lord, I am fondly, earnestly longing into thy holy likeness to grow. And the course is, open the wells of grace and salvation. Pour the rich streams deep into my heart. And one part of it says, dead to the world would I be, O Father, dead unto sin, but alive unto thee. Crucify all the earthly within me. Emptied of sin and self may I be. We have that nature, but we can crucify that old man that keeps welling up, and we can live in obedience to him. But I want to tell you, all you have to do spiritually to please Satan is nothing. And you could just go ahead and let your life bump along and just uh, don't be concerned about your spiritual walk or anything. Yeah. The lackadaisical lifestyle that so many people live spiritually is eternally devastating and destructive. Fourth point I have is we have a spiritual enemy. Realize we're no match for that enemy. We live in a world that the enemy is about us on every side we turn. Yes, he is. We need to be fortified against that. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I believe there are forces around here that we are not even 
We don't even know the tip of the iceberg. And we might say, well, we don't see much of it here. You go to Africa, that's where you think all these evil... I'll tell you, it is simply amazing. Satan has his fingers in everything God calls precious. He can twist it, taint it, dilute it, drug it, drag it through the mud, and his power is inflicting people and it's addictive for them. We're no match for him. He deceives the very elect. He distorts reality. He accuses people. He darkens the mind. He plagues human souls. He, 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 I believe he delights in human suffering. He delights in bondage. He seeks to corrupt anything that God has called beautiful. Look what he's done with things God has called beautiful. Marriages, sexuality, just life in general. Look what Satan has done to that. Last night at our revival meetings, we heard some of the deadly deeds of the devil, discouragement, despair. The list could go on, disbelief, distraction, doubt, double-mindedness, dishonesty, deceit, dullness, deadness, delayed, discord, defilement, defamation, disobedience. The list could go on and on. He's got lots of deeds. He's got lots of things where he tries to dissuade us from following Jesus Christ. fifth point I have is the world follows that calling. Reality, we live in the world. The world's following the devil. The world goes after it. The world goes after those things. Following Christ in this sinful world will make us different. We have to sometimes live against the flow to be victorious. We are not ashamed to be different. We are a peculiar people. We are people chosen by God. And we have no fear of that because we know God is on our side. But the world is following after that. I think they've got some things wrong because some of them look fairly peculiar to me. But the idea there is we are, we are chosen by Him. We are chosen for Him. He wants to call us His sons and daughters. But yes, we may look fairly different. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 6. And I think in this passage, we have some familiar parallels again of what took place back some 2,600 years ago, I suppose. Jeremiah told of Jerusalem's destruction, how Jerusalem would fall in 586 B.C. and how they'd be taken into Babylon and all the time that happened in there. But, But these people... Some of the things that they were dealing with, and it says that there is no shame. There's no blushing. They didn't really care. Everything was okay. Jeremiah chapter 6, starting at verse 13. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone is... One dealeth falsely. So here we have this. There's no respect of persons from, from those that would not be in the upper classes to maybe those Mark was talking about, those that tend to have everything put together in this world by the worldly standards. The whole, the whole gamut, whatever it is there, it says they have healed, verse 14, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, saying slightly, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. Nay, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at a time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you. Thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the ways and see and seek for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein. Ye shall find rest for your soul. But they say, we will not walk therein. There's no shame. There's no peace. There's no hearkening. Oh, they, they, they couldn't even blush. There wasn't even, even this. And you know, we live in a world that those types of things are coming out in the open in the name of pride. God forbid. Yes, we are going to be different if we walk in the, in the way of godliness. Go to chapter 7. Verse 1 through 11 talks about their lives of hypocrisy, of stealing, of murder, committing adultery, swearing falsely, all these things, starting at verse 23 of chapter 7. For this thing command I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have committed, commanded you, that it may be well with you. But they hearken not nor inclined the ear, but walked in the counsel of their own imagination of the evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Can't you just picture them with their fingers in their ears saying, oh, I don't want to, just, just don't bother me with the facts. You know, they just, that was the people, that, that's just like today. People don't want to hear. 25, since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I've even sent unto you all my servants the prophets rising daily up early and sending them. Yet they hearken not unto me nor incline the ear, but hardened their neck and did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, nor received correction. Truth is perishing, is cut off from the mouth, from their mouth. This truth is gone. They don't believe it. They don't even want to hear about it. They don't even want to be brought into the, the realization of, of what is going to happen in life. And, and they just go on and on and on and on. It says they're worse than their father's generation. Sometimes we may ask, how severe, how bad can this world get? How, how bold, how brazen, how, how can they go against even what we call common sense? Verse 31. <clears throat> they have built the high places of Topet, which is in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Topet, nor the valley of the sons of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Topet till there is no place. I think this is talking about child sacrifice. They, were go they had gone to the very, the very oh, what can I say, horrible heathen practice of child sacrifice. Huh? What about our world today? Since 1973, over 60 million 
have been offered the arms of Topet, child sacrifice, since Roe versus Wade came about. That's the type of people, that's the world we live in. People that have bent, skewed, twisted priorities in life. And even in some modern religious settings, can I say it that way? We have some candy-coated, frosted-flaked, sweet-toothed Christianity. Some that do not call for a life of separation unto God, but just this blending of, of, of everybody together, one big happy family. We all get along with everything all the time, no matter what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, if we purpose to follow Jesus at any cost, we're going to be opposed. Let's just acknowledge that. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You think it would be quite out of place if I'd have my wife come up here and put one arm around my wife and say how much I loved her and some strange looking harlot would come up here and I'd put my arm around her and say how much I love her. How many times we say, oh God, I love you and we're not willing to give up the world. I don't know, label it what you want. You can call it spiritual adultery if you want. My point is, that when we leave, when we have this love for the world, when we have this desire, this, this draw, this pull to the world, and we say yes to that, we are in big trouble spiritually. Sixth point I have is I battle earthly distractions. And the reality is that Jesus offers us a focal point. He offers us something we can look to. And I'm reminded from the golden text of the scriptures, John 3.16. If you look at the verses just preceding John 3.16. In that passage we have, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That passage from John chapter 3 verse 14 refers back to the book of Numbers. When the children of Israel in chapter 21, it says they had journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, encompassed the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Oh, it's a long way. It's a long journey. How are we ever going to make it? Oh, my. And they might have been melancholy in their thoughts that if anything bad is going to happen, it's surely going to happen to us. 
And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore they, have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Well, we probably don't... How many ways, ladies, do you think you could make manna? Bake manna, fried manna, cooked manna, boiled manna. Would we be much different than they were? Our soul loathes this light bread. Oh, we're so tired of manna. Huh. Our diet seems to be quite more diverse than that. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the Lord came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that we take, he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. But these people needed to have an act of faith. They couldn't say, oh, I don't believe that serpent will do any good. No, they had to look to that serpent that Moses was told to put up there. They needed a focal point. They couldn't say, well, I'll watch if my neighbor gets healed. I'll watch it. See if the snake bite does anything to him. No. They had to have a personal a personal longing to look at that, an act of faith. They needed to act on that faith. That's just before the golden text of the Bible. This serpent lifted up. Brothers and sisters, we have a Savior. He was lifted up on that cross for you and for me. But I can't heal you, you've got to personally look there. And everybody around needs to have that personal focus. Where is our focus today? What means most to us? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Him. That's our focus. God, the last one I have is there is a God and he is always, 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 always the victor. Our God is above all. There's nobody above him. Satan and his tactics, the world, the world lean, those that are, those that are weak, anemic in their spiritual walk. We have one thing we can have confidence in. God will always be the victor. He comes to us. He aids us in many different ways. He gives us strength in evil strongholds. He gives us strength to overcome. And when we have needs, he wants us to pour out his needs before him. When he, we have life decisions, God bless you, Ryan and Roseanne, he wants to give us direction. He's in that business. God wants to speak to us. God wants to be in our lives. He wants to show himself strong. I'm afraid too often we hold him at arm's length. And we stiff arm him, say, don't get too close. Yeah, I want to see what you have for me. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, the Bible says, 
you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'll tell you, if that doesn't put fire in your tail, I don't know what will. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I am so grateful that we have a God that is concerned about us, a God that wants to come alongside of us, a God that knows every detail in life. But perhaps the journey gets laborious, it gets long, we don't know the uncertainty. On the way home from a lifetime of service as missionaries in Africa, an elderly couple came into New York City Unbeknownst to them, when they came into the harbor, they were on the same ship that the then president, Teddy Roosevelt, was on. And he was just returning from a big game hunting expedition. When they got to New York Harbor, the newspaper was there heralding his return. A band was there playing for him, and the dignitaries of the town were them, and the red carpet was spread out for the president returning from his big game hunting expedition. Meanwhile, the missionary couple, quietly off the ship, found a cheap apartment. They had no pension. They had very little money. They were in poor health. And the husband seemed to be particularly somewhat disturbed about this whole thing. How could this president receive all this acclaim And here we've had a whole lifetime of service and nobody's there to welcome us. He told his wife, he says, God doesn't seem to be treating us fair. And the wife said this, why don't you pray about it? Short time later, after he prayed, his wife realized that his demeanor had changed and that he was once more joyful. And she said, what happened? And he said, the Lord simply put his hand on my shoulder and said, you're not home yet. We could go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at the heroes of faith. Some of them, I'm sure, long for things. And we go through the whole list of, of those that stood the test of time. And They were, verse 13 of Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Persuaded, embraced them, and confessed them that we're strangers and pilgrims. Not only what we believe, but what we show we believe and what we say. Are we strangers and pilgrims? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. But I want to tell you, hell is also a prepared place for an unprepared people. And we need to understand that. I'm reminded of a song that I haven't seen it for many, many years. But when I was young, 
Our family used to sing this song. If Jesus should come, if Jesus should come, I'd welcome the call from on high. There's nothing can hold me, no silver nor gold, no, no money nor home, I'd leave without saying goodbye. I've laid aside weights, I've washed my robes white, and the blood's flowing over my soul. The way is so dark and so long as the night, but faith keeps its eye on the goal. I'm tired of things earthly, everything here. There's nothing can hold me, I know. This world is a wilderness, not I hold dear. I'm longing, just longing to go. You laugh at me now, but someday you will long to have chosen your lot with me here. You'll wish for a mansion, a robe, and a crown, but twill be too late, then I fear. And the chorus says, I'm longing to go. There's nothing to keep me below. When the trumpet shall sound from those mansions on high, I'll leave without saying goodbye. There was a care facility for children that had disabilities, uh, mongoloid children, those, those type of people. And one day someone visited the facility and they noticed that all the windows on the exterior of the building were really smudged, fingerprinted and all this thing. And they made a comment. We noticed that your windows have smudges on them. The one that was running the facility said, yes, we talk to our children all the time that someday Jesus is returning. And we have some that every morning they will go from window to window and stick their nose right on the window looking up to the sky to see if today is the day. How's your windows? Are we looking forward to that time? Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. As I mentioned, the funeral we've had recently in our church was spoke volumes to my life, to the life of our congregation. And we can say it, yeah, I'm ready to go. But are we really honest? But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, it would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Today, tomorrow, in our lifetime, in our children's lifetime. day of the Lord will come and this I can confidently assure you brothers and sisters 
we live in a world of realities. I feel I'm fairly much of a realist. Things happen. And we look at them and we don't need to ask questions exactly why God this and why God that because we know in His sovereignty He has plans even though we may not know that until we sit at His feet. But you have personal accountability and responsibility. I have been challenged. There have been times that people say, Oh, I don't want to go to church. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. I cringe because that could be all true of a statement in many cases. But that does not remove the case of personal accountability. We, need, we are personally accountable to our God, to our Creator, to the one that is control of time and eternity. <laughs> 